Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 16th of June 2020. Appropriately enough, given the huge challenge currently facing global economic policy, 85 years to the day that President Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal legislation passed through the US House of Representatives. Mark Pender is stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Late last week, investor optimism just temporarily gave way to renewed caution as COVID-19 cases jumped in China and the US and both the Fed chairman and OECD general secretary offered timely reminders that we're still in the midst of the worst global recession in almost 100 years. The latter told policymakers to throw everything you've got at it and it seems that central bankers and politicians alike are happy to do so irrespective of the potential problems that unprecedented monetary and fiscal easing might be storing up for the future. By and large, the investment community still thinks they've got its back. This week, we have central bank announcements out of Japan, the UK and Switzerland. But before we get on to those, let's have a quick look at one of the most active central banks, the Fed, and see what they decided to do at last week's FOA meeting. Mr. Pender, what is yes. going on? Well, it's all tools out of the toolbox, and um, it's, like you say, throwing everything uh, that they have added, except for uh, negative rates. That is something that the Federal Reserve uh, has ruled out. Uh, so did they, did they repeat that or reiterate it, whatever? They, yes, they, yeah. yes, and so uh, that's out, And um, but unlimited QE is, uh, in, uh, is in store. They just put up their corporate bond, uh, direct buying, uh, in the secondary market. Uh, uh, yesterday they launched that main streets being launched. That's for the uh, mid-sized companies, companies who can't, uh, draw from, um, the capital markets. And, uh, so it's everything that they can uh, pretty much possibly do. Uh, and there may be more in store, uh, Though, um, you know, the question is uh, whether we get a V-shaped recovery or not. Uh, Jerome Powell is speaking right now as we speak um, on Washington. And, uh, and you know, he did point, he is pointing to some indications of stability. And I, the reference is to retail sales, which we got today for May, which were just extraordinarily strong. Um, fully reversing a um, the decline in April, um, and uh, it, it, and it, this has to do with uh, uh, the federal stimulus checks um, that everyone is getting here, and uh, whether or not they, they could go out very much. The U.S. consumer still <laughs> went on a gigantic uh, shopping spree in May, and it looks as though um, uh, consumer spending, if that can be repeated, it will. It, can I ask, uh, can I ask yeah. you, in, ter in terms of the spending, what's the state of a lockdown in the States now? Because I mean, Europe clearly is is easing quite a lot of restrictions. I mean, the UK, for example, over our retail sector beginning of this week, and we're behind a lot of continental Europe. What's the position in the States now? It's state by state. Uh, some states are uh, fully reopened. Other states are partially reopened. I'm in Pennsylvania, and we're not fully reopened. Uh but uh, and it's an ongoing. Uh, uh, it's up to the individual governors, and and depending on the local um, infection rates, and um, and those infection rates are ultimately what will, be, as you mentioned at the top, uh, or will ultimately be determining um, where the economy will be going. 
And uh, it's not completely clear that we are, you know, uh, have yeah. stabilized at lower levels. Uh, it Again, it's state by state. Some states are, are far higher, uh, are, are seeing new uh, um, uh, surges in uh, infection rates. Still, you know, surges, but, it, it, you know, it, uh, increased um, levels of infections. Others are not. So it, it's going to be play it. Uh, as you go, uh, one thing uh, besides retail sales that are strong in the U.S. is the housing sector has done remarkably well. We had the housing market index today from the nation's home builders, and um, it, it's coming back up very quickly. Uh, and new home sales, um, like resident, you know, how weak will consumer spending be in the second quarter? Maybe not as weak as we thought. How weak will residential investment be? Maybe not as uh, as weak as we thought. So, uh, but what is as weak as we uh, feared is the production side of the economy. Industrial production came out. It did show a little bit of a rebound in May, but nothing um, uh, to really cut into what we saw in April. Uh, even though vehicle manufacturing, vehicle sales were were a pop way up in May, but are still down well down from where they were before the crisis. The vehicle production um, has popped up way in May, but is even further down than where it was uh, before the crisis. So um, it's interesting. Um, and is this playing out for an inflationary uh, wild card? Uh, you know, if production, if, if production is down, um, that's fewer goods. And if import, you know, imports and exports, let's just look at the import side, sharply lower. Um, where are the goods going to come from? And is that laying out a possible inflationary? Um, mm. You know, I don't want to be a doomsdayer. And what's certainly the, the this what's is not what stops? people are saying. Yeah, sure. What, what's the business? Even? I mean, is it the case that you know, because demand fell out of bed, that there's enough stocks there to, you know, to look after a couple of perhaps, say, really strong months of demand before there's any real threat of an inflation? Well, that's right. We also had business inventories today, and they've been uh, they've been drawing down. So we've been, you know, um, relying on existing existing stocks mm-hmm. to to uh, feed demand. And uh, but it, production will have to eventually pick up. Otherwise, there's going to be a gigantic mismatch. And um, and, I, and that, like I say, it is a, 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 a an inflationary risk just for the goods production, let alone all the stimulus. Uh, coming out of uh, Washington and the uh, central bank um, that's being fed uh, indirectly into uh, the financial markets. So it's like what you also said at the top. You said, you know, there's a risk of a a future imbalance in the financial markets, but that's not really what the concern is right now. The concern right now is that we um, stabilize somehow at whatever the new normal is and uh and um so it's a it's uh it's i think completely up in the air of course and uh well and it'll all depend on you know whether or not this virus is going to uh you know uh come in with a second wave or not you know and we we just don't know i can tell you from my own um reading and my own uh personal experience going out around the Northeast, uh, you know, social distancing is more of an option than it is a practice right now. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Mm. 
it's interesting because social distancing is one of the certainly the biggest one of the biggest issues in the UK now because say we've got the, the reopening of a lot of the retail sector but over here it's still very much we have this this two meter or two yard rule um, mm-hmm. which effectively is, uh, is being enforced and a lot of the shops are simply saying so long as that remains the case we're not going to be able to get enough traffic enough volume footfall mm-hmm. through the shops and to make it worth the while opening so you uh, are seeing are you seeing enforcement i'm not really seeing it we're not seeing any uh, enforcement. well i mean it's not it's not what i call like heavy duty enforcement but certainly it's very much a strong government um, recommendation and if we have police forces out and they see it not actually being followed then i'll certainly step in and make comments to effect well look you know you should be doing this and not that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one thing I must say we are missing, it's interesting because you because the state's figures as always find it very irritating for this part of the world, but your numbers come out so much uh, you know, so much in advance of ours. And for example, you're already talking about you know, retail sales for May. Well, you know, Eurozone retail sales won't be out for May until July the sixth. The mm-hmm. IP numbers, industrial production won't be out until the middle of next month. So we've still, you know, really just looking at what's been happening in the past rather than what's been happening now. Mm-hmm. So I suppose the first kind of you know litmus paper of what's going on in Europe will be UK retail sales, which mm-hmm. do come out relatively early. They'll be, they'll be out on Friday. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very interesting just where they follow the US pattern. Um, I mean, they were down 18 percent or just over 18 percent in March, uh, sorry, in April, rather, and expected to be up about 6.5 percent. I mean, f- mm-hmm. for what market forecasts are worth at the moment. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense here, I think, that there's been a lot of it's quite interesting. It's been this pent up demand. People have been stuck at home, unable to go out. Yes, you can buy online as, as you always can do for those people have access to PCs and what, and what, what have you. But, you know, you get in the past, people have been talking about, oh, I can't be bothered to go shopping. I'll buy everything online. Now you've had this change in psychology whereby i can't wait to go out and get into some shops you know, yeah. to physically touch some things and, and, and stuff like that and yeah. so i'd be interested i kind of wondering whether or not what you're seeing your side is perhaps even a temporary shift in psyche before you go back to normal and think oh no i'll buy it online or right i've had the fun of shopping again it's boring it's queued up and you go back to much more normal levels mm-hmm. well we've been seeing you know when you drive around you see these large and i been in one or two of them, uh, large lines at the drive-throughs, you know, and uh, McDonald's and Wendy's and things like that, um, you know, just snaking, uh, you know, and, and they had been open. So I guess, you know, uh, but people had been at home and uh, now that they're going out and, you know, the restaurants, I, uh, uh, they're putting, you know, every um, tables out on the street. So there's been a, a change going on in how we um, conduct ourselves. And that has to go. I want to get back to production because production has to get going again. Um, and, and those kinds of things have to, uh, you know, be applied in, in, you know, in, in the production and the economy. I'm, I'm sure that they are. Um, but you also said about delays before I, I, I there's something I want to mention on that, but uh, also the infection rates uh, uh, to the the medical information I read that we're also, you know, these are kind of delayed numbers when you look at uh, the latest infection rates. This actually uh, might be a week or two or even more uh, mm-hmm. by the time that, you know, someone will admit themselves into the hospital and then get into the John Hopkins database. Um, so it's kind of a delayed thing. But on that score, now not all the UK, not all the European data is behind. You had monthly UK um, GDP, which was a, a shock to the downside. Can you go into that? 
Yeah, so that only refers to April. So we're going back a little bit now. But yes, it was a horrendous number. So I mean, I suppose this was the first full month, obviously, of a lockdown in the UK. Um, as you mentioned, we do now have monthly GDP numbers over here, uh, which to be fair to the Office of National Stats, so our, our statistics people, they always recommend looking at a three month rolling average because one month was so much statistical noise. But that said, month on month, April gross domestic product in the UK was down 20.4% which I mean, is a massive hit. Um, but that said, I mean, we look at what the Bank of England was like indicating. So I'm not sure we can call them forecasts anymore. It's part of its indicative scenario from its last meeting. They were talking about a probable decline in second quarter GDP for the UK of about 25% or so. And given what we've had in April, I don't know if we were to get something close to a small fall or flat production in um, May or June, then we're probably going to end up somewhere around about that kind of mark. So, yes, it's horrible, but we sort of know the second quarter is going to be rubbish anyway. The key question is what's going to happen as far as the third quarter is concerned. And at this yeah. stage, we really don't have you know, too much data. Well, and that goes with the V recovery, if we get that mm -hmm. or not. And certainly there's been uh, today's retail sales report. Uh, not all the data is fitting into that. The employment data in the U.S. and Canada have, are fitting into that uh, with the big jump in May. Um, and, of course, now the consumer uh, spending uh, data uh, as well. But, uh, you know, I, it will have to, we'll, you know, it will, we'll have to see now. And the Bank of England meets on, uh, actually, we, we, you have two. You mentioned the Swiss National Bank, which is interesting. But let, let's talk about the Bank of England. Um, uh, now, I read your piece. Now, uh, negative interest rates uh, don't seem to be on the table. But I have, haven't we been seeing some uh, headlines from policymakers in the UK talking yeah, about it's, that? It's, it's interesting. I think in some ways the bank got a bit carried away or at least um, in, to some extent might have been down to the governor, Andrew Bailey, who quite clearly intimated what a week or so ago um, that he the bank effectively was actively looking at the, the possibility of taking bank rate. Uh, so the benchmark rate over here, which stands at just 0.1 percent, actively looking at taking it into negative territory, which is something the bank has always said it didn't think it should do. It thought to do more harm than good in terms of distortions and so on to, you know, to the economy. So it wouldn't do it. But apparently, um, it's been looking at all the numbers on how the economy is faring and everything else. It's looked at the experience um, of other countries like Switzerland, presumably the ECB, where their key deposit rate is what, minus 0.5%. And they decided that if necessary, they would be prepared to actually to take rates negative. However, it's also been pointed out by a number of other bank officials that to do that, you've got to give plenty of warning to the public for a start, just in terms of your communications exercise to make sure people actually understand what negative interest rates mean and also for the whole financial industry as a whole because it's going to introduce as we know from you know elsewhere in the world a whole range of dislocations the way products are priced and, and everything else so i think by the looks of it if you kind of read between the lines i must say i would be very surprised now if we were to see a move on interest rates at uh, the banks meeting this week so it'll be on thursday um, but i'm kind of wondering if the, you know, the discussion the minutes will suggest that they're very much contemplating a move further out and of course as far as the banks concerned like a lot of other central banks they like to tiny shift in policy to the latest updated economic projections and we get we'll be getting those at the august meeting so i think yeah the earliest we'll see any cut in interest rates unless the bottom falls out of the economy again due to covid or whatever it may be uh, so august is probably the first real opportunity to see rates go sub-zero over here 
Now, for but, the yeah, Swiss sorry. National Bank is at minus 0.75 for their policy rate. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it, let, let me just quickly finish on banking. I should say, oh, so okay. no change, no change in interest rates. But people, you know, looking at the bank, the market expectation or the hope anyway is that they will come out and increase quantitative easing. So currently, the, the ceiling on the bank's quantitative ease pro, easing program is 645 billion pounds sterling. That's expected to be increased by, I guess, at least 100 billion, so to 745. If we were to see less than that, then I think investors would be very much disappointed. Mm-hmm. Swiss National Bank, as you mentioned, they actually meet what a few hours before the Bank of England, so also on Thursday. As we've talked about in the past, I mean, the key here very much remains the currency. And I suppose the loosely speaking good news for the central bank is that since their last meeting back in March, um, during which time the, the SNB has been very active in the FX markets, so selling its currency to stop further Swiss franc appreciation. Um, we've seen over the last couple of weeks or so, with this move in sort of market sentiment in general towards more risky assets. It's actually seen some capital outflows from the Swiss franc, which is exactly what the SMB wants to see. So some of the pressure on it to come out and do something else with its policy stance has eased a little bit. That said, I mean, one of the big issues, of course, facing the SMB is the coronavirus, not just for direct economic effects that all the other countries are having to contend with, but simply the virtue of the fact that, as we saw in the back end of last week, uh, when you get some bad numbers coming out on the coronavirus, investors react very quickly and this flight to safety. So that's when we saw the uh, the Swiss franc starting to move stronger against the dollar and against the euro again. And so in the back of their mind, they must have the view that, well, if we get hit by a big second wave of COVID-19, there's going to be a renewed rush into the Swiss franc. So perhaps we don't want to cut interest rates, but we'll keep any future cut until such time as really have to do it as a last resort. But by and large, I think that their view is currently very much that you know, we are prepared to do whatever is necessary in the foreign exchange markets, and they will continue to do that. And so certainly, so, so yeah. they stress the currency intervention. What about QE? Well, QE per se, they don't bother with. All their intervention is coming through the um, through the foreign exchange market. So they're expanding their balance sheet like that. And their balance sheet has gone has gone up massively as a result of all, all the intervention. And um, it's certainly the case that as of what sort of late April, early May time when the Swiss franc was very strong, we saw extremely aggressive intervention from the central bank, which you can say appears to have put a floor under it in terms of you know, euro, euro Swiss franc anyway. And as we speak currently, the euro is worth what about 1.07 Swiss francs and that compares with a a strong point for the Swiss franc of 1.05 so this is Swiss francs per euro of course Um, but it's still far too strong so you can bet your your bottom dollar franc whatever currency you want come Thursday Mm -hmm. that the SMB will be towing the line that it's still overvalued and they and they want it weaker they must have have a massive uh, foreign uh, exchange um well, they have yeah. now because the thing is for them, of course, they can do whatever they want because they're selling their own currency. Mm-hmm. But you know, unlike many central banks who intervene when they're, they're worried about their own currency being too weak, so long as you've got the foreign currency reserves, of course, you can go and use those reserves to buy back your own currency. For the Swiss National Bank, 
it, the shoes on the other foot. The currency is so strong, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they can just print the money and just simply use it to mm-hmm. go out and you know, sell it. Sell it. Mm-hmm. So their direct buying is in the exclusively in the uh, foreign exchange uh, and and not in bonds. Yeah. There. Hmm. Well, I mean, they do. They, I mean, they have their own investment stuff outside of that, but the policy itself is built around, as they call it, you know, foreign exchange intervention and negative interest rates. And from the negative interest rate side, well, you know, to all intents and purposes, it, it does seem as if it's reached rock bottom unless mm-hmm. they're just simply put into a corner and feel they have to do something else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what else should we mention? I suppose from the, my side, a quick update on Brexit. There's not too much to say there, but last week we had a, say, a very disappointing meeting um, between um, policymakers and these comments coming out from the various policymakers about Brexit. And the pound was very much under pressure because markets were getting genuinely concerned about the, the real possibility, if not probability, of a no deal Brexit. So no trade deal between the UK and the European Union once the transition period finishes at the end of this year. As a result, though, of um, a video call between Johnson and the EU Commission President uh, von der Leyen yesterday, there's been a lot of, you know, really, I suppose, quite optimistic noises coming out of that. It may just be politicking, because at the end of the day, both sides want a deal. But they're talking about, you know, promising an acceleration to the existing talks, you know, a drive to try and make sure they do get a deal before the end of the year. And Johnson apparently was even reported as setting some kind of end of July deadline to achieve the deal itself. Now, it remains to be seen whether or not that can happen. I suspect it's far too optimistic, but it has given the pound a bit of a lift. So we are sort of moving back into the days putting COVID-19 on one side, whereby you know, what happens to particularly the sterling euro cross uh, is very much a function of you know, the latest news about are we going to get a soft Brexit or is it going to be a, a hard Brexit? We're back to that kind of thing again. I, I, I think I, I have um, an understanding of the, the UK's uh, position, um, but what is the advantage or, or what's uh, what's at stake now for uh, Europe? Um, uh, with their relationship with the UK, and uh, just aside from that trade relationship, uh, what what does it if they make uh, too many compromises, what would that do to the union itself, the remaining union? Well, the big worry for the EU, and I can understand it from their side as well, is that effectively the UK is trying to cherry pick. So we, having been part of the EU, we had access to the single market. market. So the free movement of, uh, of trading goods, of services and uh, of people, capital as well. So effectively a free market. Everyone operated on what they call a, you know, a level playing field because we all had the same rules. Now, the UK has left the European Union. Um, it's essentially trading by the same rules at the moment during this temporary transition period. But once we get beyond December, the concern for the EU is that effectively it thinks the UK is going to want all the good stuff out of the EU. So in other words, tariff free, quota free trade with the EU without giving effectively anything back in return. So the worry for the EU is that, you know, from the starting point is that it will end up with a country outside of the European Union, which has all the benefits of being with Within the European Union. And also, of course, if you build take that and the next step further, you could look at a country like Italy, which at the moment feels extremely hard done by uh, due to the way the COVID-19 has hit the Italian population and the economy without getting what it feels, you know, the help it should be getting from the rest of the European Union. If it were to see the UK thriving outside the EU with a trade deal, which is almost as good as being part of the EU in terms of free trade and so on, then 
then perhaps a country like Italy might opt to come out. And if uh, Italy would come out the Eurozone, then that really would start setting the ball rolling and almost you know, definitely see the Eurozone unraveling. Hmm. So it's a, there's a lot of, you know, sort of politics going on here, which are going to be important for, well, the EU economy and the UK economy. A hard Brexit would be very bad news for both sides. And they both accept that. But also, you know, the, the politicking about what it means for the future of a European Union and indeed the future of a euro currency itself. Are, are there any major uh, elections, national elections between now? No, not really. The big one at the top of the next big one really is going to be the German one, which isn't until I think it's October of next year. Um, but the but one key move which the UK does seem to be pinning its hat on is that uh, Germany takes over presidency um, of the EU come the what come the first of July, and Angela Merkel and Co to date have tended to come into the camp which has you know wanted to try and get a soft Brexit, so something which by all means the UK is out of it, but they come out with a deal which is you know suitable for the EU and suitable for the you know for the UK. There may be some compromises from both sides, but she's tended to be someone who's gone down the kind of diplomatic route which seeks to achieve a, you know, a well-balanced negotiation. And I think the UK is hoping that with Germany taking over the presidency, it may make you know the discussions a little bit more easy to push through, you know, given the importance of Germany to the bloc as a whole. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be something very much to, you know, for, for sterling investors and for sterling markets to, to keep an eye on right right through the summer anyway. OK, is there anything else? I suppose we mentioned BOJ at the Bank of Japan at the intro. Well, they announced uh, their policy statement earlier on today and that pretty well met expectations. No change in their short term policy interest rate, which remains at minus 0.1%. So yet another country with negative interest rates and long term interest rate target that remains at around 0%. Also much akin to every other central bank in the world at the moment. Uh, they're also indicating they won't hesitate uh, to take additional action if they think it's necessary. So I guess it's pretty well safe to say for any monetary authority at the moment, you know, if there's a tendency anywhere in policy is very much towards further easing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, anything else, anything else? I saw that the European trade surplus was tiny. And was that, was that in April? And uh, that mass gargantuan decline, 20% declines on both sides. Uh, it, was, decline. it was. Yeah, I mean, obviously, say we're talking April data rather than um, May data. So we are talking about, you know, the big lockdown period. But yes, you're right. I mean, month on month, the seasonally adjusted data, uh, the exports were down, what, 24.5%. Imports were down 13%. So uh, the unadjusted year on year numbers now for exports is almost down 30%. Imports down 25 percent it is a reminder that you know there's still big issues with global trade mm. and um, it's actually quite interesting looking at the, the zdw uh, survey we had out of germany today now this is just uh, surveying a pool of analysts so it's not actually looking at the hard data but one of the underlying messages coming out of this was that although analysts tend to be reasonably optimistic about recovery prospects for the german economy at home they still remain pretty negative if not very negative about what's going to happen to uh, the German export side so whilst you look at the details of the survey sort of show that sentiment 
regarding the communication side, the high tech side, you know, that's all doing pretty well. Those industries like manufacturing and capital goods and all this kind of thing, which are very much exposed to exports, and of course, Germany's economy is very much built around exports, they still seem very negatively. So it's, you know, with, again, it's going to be a case of how individual economies work within themselves and how they actually cooperate with everybody else. Is it going to be the case that everyone is going to put themselves first at the expense of global trade, um, which would be ultimately a negative for everyone? Real quickly here at the end, but India, how big of a, a trading partner are they with uh, Europe? And, the, and I ask because of all the countries we follow, uh, India is the only one who's actually, I, I, well, anyway, Italy has, I guess, the confidence and some confidence numbers, but India has, um, you know, um, it, uh, canceled uh, several uh, economic reports um, because of the, the virus. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, is that, are they a big significant uh, a player in, in the European well- they're not a massive one for Europe, but they're one of those markets that a lot of European industry really wants to tap into. You know, if you believe some of these very long term projections and they ask, right, who's going to have the biggest economy in the world? And China always comes out as one and India comes out as another one. I mean, it's not there yet. And just you know, going back to the COVID-19, I mean, Delhi has got some major problems on the COVID side currently. And so the Indian economy, like the rest of the world, is going through some major problems. But they're also an economy which you know, is quite reliant upon the exports and imports. And the figures we had out for May, I want the good things about India, the trade figures come out you know, in very good time. Uh, the May export number on year on year basis, that was down, where are we? 36.5%. Mm. Uh, imports are down over 50%. Mm. So again, it's you know, it's bad news for all those countries which are heavily involved in exports um, at the moment, but simply because, you know, domestic governments are trying to get you know domestic demand going again to feed the domestic economy they're not particularly worried about domestic demand in their country fueling a, another economy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um yeah it's gonna be a part and parcel of how things shape up going forwards right okay then i think we've probably been prattling on for long enough as per usual mm-hmm. um so on behalf of mark and myself thanks as always for listening um we'll be back again next week so please do tune in then in the interim remember that you can get all the updated information on data economic events and everything else you ever want to know about in economy global economic calendar we'll see you next week stay safe bye for now